Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 24th day of April 2023. Happy Monday to you. It is Monday. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. Appreciate you downloading, sharing, telling a friend, and all that good stuff, because that's the only way to make this sucker grow. Well, that and maybe water and effort and money and things like that, but, well, we got word of mouth. Anyway, exciting day. Lots to go on. Uh, the contest. I know I owe you a contest. I'm going to, because it was a big weekend in the Hunter household, I am going to extend the contest for one week. Host prerogative. I mean, it's Mark Levin versus Sandra Day O'Connor for autographed books. So, I mean, you don't get that every day at uh, patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. So, there, I've extended it a week. And I'll announce the winner next week, and I'll explain why. Well, I got fired. And then um, the firstborn's child first tooth fell out. Yes, the uh, Quinn lost her first chomper on the bottom. And it was a very exciting day. She was very, she's still very excited by it. She can't stop playing with it. So the tooth fairy had to really snap into order. And then we had... uh, Part of that tooth thing was the arrival of kittens. So, thankfully, it really actually coincided really well. The tooth fell out Saturday, and the kittens were uh, fixed and ready to be delivered on Sunday. So, I don't know if you live in the Baltimore area or not, but damn, the uh, the, the shelter there, Bark, I, I hadn't been there in years. I had two cats from there in the past. And uh, the sh- they've moved. They've grown. They've expanded. They've got a really nice facility. It's like, holy cow, this is nice and awesome. But I picked them up. It was all a surprise for the girls. And now uh, they may never sleep again. So that's part of the reason why there is no contest this week. That and, you know, you're unemployed. you gotta got to uh, stretch, it, stretch it out. Anyway, let us get on with the program. Man... You just watch these people on television. There was a time, I swear to God, there was a time when I was not embarrassed to uh, to be somebody who worked in the news business, to be somebody who worked in politics, to to watch the people who represent the United States of America, who work as elected representatives. You could watch those people and not go oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. What the hell is wrong with people? But then there was a time when you could go shop at Bed Bath & Beyond. Actually, I think you probably still go to Bed Bath & Beyond. They've filed for bankruptcy. I think they're still in existence. But not for now. For now, I mean, for now, the rest of the country is still in existence. And if Democrats get their way, it won't be for very long because they are truly, truly terrible, awful, god-awful horrible people. Now, what do I mean? Well, I don't really probably have to explain all that of what I mean, but we have a, pre- well, let's talk a little bit about the polls. I know I always say polls are worthless for an election, you know, far away. They don't get much further away than something like 18 months for an election, but it is worth noting because it is where the country is now because you can see conservatives getting really excited about it. And I know, oh, Derek, you're salt. You're always putting a damper on our excitement. No, I'm not. I'm putting a governor on your excitement, not a, a governor governor. It's a car thing. It's an internal combustion engine thing. To slow things down, to make it realistic, to make everybody wake up, not woke, but wake up and go, hey, wait a second, this is... Nothing. It means nothing. Now, it's interesting. Right now, if the election were held today, it's fairly likely that Republicans would win. But the election isn't going to be held today. The election isn't going to be held for quite a number of todays. And trust me when I tell you this, things will change dramatically between now and then. That's why I criticize Trump so much when he talks about, well, I'm number one in the polls, on this poll, that poll, the other poll. 
And then he ignores and gets mad and attacks his own pollster when the poll shows him losing to Joe Biden, but Ron DeSantis is winning. Like, okay, it's really kind of screwed up. Republican pollster worked for Trump in 2016, did a poll that showed Trump easily beating Ron DeSantis in the Republican primary. But nobody thinking that Trump would beat Biden in the general election. And in the general election, the same guy came up with the polling data that said that Biden was up by three over Trump and down by three over DeSantis. Now, that's within... I. It's within like a half point of the margin of error. Whatever it is, it doesn't really matter how close it is in the margin of error it is because it's not going to happen. Whatever happens is going to happen a year from now. We're in this thing for a, a year before Republicans have a nominee, probably. The primary process is going on. It will go on, and it doesn't start until January. It'll probably take a couple of months to resolve itself. So it doesn't matter what kind of a poll you get right now. Howard Dean would have been the Repu- the Democratic nominee in 2004, and Scott Walker would have been the Republican nominee in 2016. If polling this far ahead or even further, or anywhere, actually even next six months or so, mattered. It doesn't matter how Ron DeSantis polls. He hasn't announced anything. So the fact that he's at 34% should not really, for you Trump fans out there, it should not be super exciting that a guy who hasn't announced, who isn't arguing and fighting back, who isn't campaigning at all, uh, and isn't really known on the national stage outside of the real serious political world, but is wildly popular in his state, is polling that well. Yeah, you can be comfortable in the fact that Trump is up by 15 or 20 points. That's fine. But you do have to recognize or at least acknowledge that it's kind of a bad thing that this guy is doing so well without trying. Imagine what he could do if he did try. Who knows? Trying might be what sinks the DeSantis campaign. You have no idea. People can be wildly horrible candidates even though they're good at the job and vice versa. So it doesn't matter. I don't know how to tell people that enough. And it deflates everybody because the DeSantis people are like super duper excited. And then they look at other polls and they go, those polls don't matter. And the Trump people, including Trump himself, are out there going, this poll shows me winning. And then uh, the other polls, like, well, ignore those polls. Well, sometimes they're the same damn polls. Okay. They just are. So how about we go, that's interesting. It is a checkpoint. It is where we are at this moment in time, but this moment in time is fleeting. In fact, it's gone and it will never return. So it's about what happens, not what happened. Because I mean, if you're looking at certain polling data, you can find whatever you want, especially this far out ahead of time. If you're a Trump fan, a new NBC News poll has Trump at 46% and DeSantis at 31% for the nomination. Okay, great. For Joe Biden, if you're a Democrat, it's not looking so good. Realistically, the job approval rating in the NBC News poll, which you know is padded like a fluffer on a porn set, is approve 41%, disapprove 54%. Same poll back in January had approve at 45%, disapprove at 50%. So he's lost four digits in that poll. That's not good. Now, granted, Democrats were not looked... I'll give you one more stat, and then I'll tell you why this all doesn't really matter, and I think everybody's kind of missing the point, which doesn't mean I know the point. It just means that I'm smart enough to know I don't know the point. Do you believe... This is a poll question asked in the NBC News poll. Do you believe Joe Biden should run for president? 26%. Not run for president? 70%. 70%. That is really good news if you are a Republican. And I am sure that Donald Trump's campaign will be touting that. However, the very same poll, the very next question. Do you think Donald Trump should run for president? 35% not run for president, 60%. Now, that's not good. Certainly, it's better than 
this is, you know, however many, whatever, all Americans, not Republican primary voters. Um, that's certainly looking better for Trump than it is for Biden. But there is just a simple fact that the American people want somebody else. They want somebody else. Of the two people that are the likely frontrunners and probable nominees of their party, they want someone else. That makes an election against them. That makes a rematch election wildly unpredictable and difficult to poll. Why? Because most people would not be all that interested in or excited about voting for either one of them. So then it comes down to your likely voter model on which most of the uh, accurate or the most accurate or the closest thing to accurate polling data that we have is based in the likely voter model. That means that it kind of goes to hell. Because if there isn't enthusiasm for somebody or even at least enthusiasm to vote against somebody, then you really have no idea if somebody's going to show up. It'll depend more. It's a game time decision, you know? Like when my friends and I used to go out to the bar. Like, you going? I don't know. I got some stuff to do or I'm feeling a little bit tired. So it'll be a game time decision. Like when we're ready to go out, then I'll decide if I'm going to go because I don't know right now. And if you do that with a large swath of the people who have voted in the past and you don't get 60 and 70 percent of people saying this person shouldn't run, depending on the person, you don't get that without touching a large percentage of likely voters, people who have voted in past elections. You don't get that. So the whole thing's a crapshoot. Will you show up? I don't know. You know what? I I drove to the polling place and there was a long line. So to hell with it. Now, this is just one poll. It's actually sort of in line with other polls. I don't know that this specific question has been asked before, but the sentiment and the excitement is real for more so for Donald Trump than for Joe Biden. But that doesn't mean it's with more people. The sentiments are held deeper. The more deeply a candidate is loved does not mean that it is wide. It just doesn't. And there's no real way to know this far out in advance. But the sentiment right now indicates it could be a low turnout election, which who knows what that would mean. Again, doesn't matter. It's so far away. But it could also mean that people show up because they, for the same reasons that motivated them last time, whatever those reasons were. If you look at this other question, how would you rate your feelings toward Joe Biden? 38% positive, 48% negative. Not a good position to be in. Again, something I suspect the Trump uh, campaign to be exploiting. For the the Democratic Party, it's only 36% positive and 46% negative. Again, 10 points down. Not good. Unless you're running against Republicans. When you look at the Republican Party and you ask the same people those questions, how would you rate your feelings towards the Republican Party? 33%. Only 33% have a positive feeling toward the Republican Party. 43% have a negative. So they have lower negatives than the Democrats, but they also have lower positives than the Democrats, which means that you're going to have to do something. I honestly... I've told you my problems with the way that Republicans ran the midterm elections, and we see how that worked out, and that the House couldn't come up with a sort of contract with America. Instead, they put out a weird, vague statement of principles and a mishmash of jargon, garbage, whatever. That's part of the problem why people don't know what the Republican Party stands for. It's problematic. And then, by the way, the same question, how would you rate your feelings toward Donald Trump 34% positive, 53% negative. Now, he's got one more percentage point in the positive column than the Republican Party in general, but he's got 10 more points in the negative column than the Republican Party. So none of this is good news for anybody. It simply isn't good news for anybody. So... You decide for yourself what to do with this information and recognize, of course, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. There is still eight, 
eight months before a primary or caucus is held, there's plenty of time, you'd say. Now, the conventional wisdom is there's plenty. That's a lifetime in politics. It's, it's, it's a thousand lifetimes in politics. The difference being you're dealing with an incumbent president who's been in the public eye for 50 years one way or another, to one extent or another, certainly not his whole political career because who the hell would know a senator from Delaware if you weren't from Delaware, but he's been on the national stage, run for president a bunch of times, so he's been out there. And he's running against a former president who is perhaps the most recognizable human being on the planet, about whom nobody really doesn't have an opinion. Everybody has an opinion about Joe Biden. Honestly, everybody. I go down and ask Quinn and Bailey. They would have an opinion of Joe Biden or of Donald Trump. They'd go like, yeah. You know, to them, he's the only president they've really ever known. Joe Biden is off in the woods somewhere hiding from the media. So he hasn't, him being president, somebody else being president, it kind of sunk in. They remember that he wiped out on his bike. <laughs> they, they do remember that. But they've brought it up a few times. But Joe Biden falls down. But um, it's still President Trump's house when they see the White House and things like that. We went to the White House for the uh, the Christmas, Christmas light tour or whatever, the Christmas decoration tour while Trump was president. And... Um, so it's it's just President Trump's house. They don't understand the concept of elections yet. They're a lot like AOC in that respect, which I'll get to in a second. But along these lines about how Joe Biden, like my kids, they uh been in the same business. The wife's been in the same business. We watched the same, well, we probably watched a lot less news, but still we watch news. It's still President Trump. It is not President Biden as easily it is president biden to a certain extent but it's not as easily and part of that is because joe biden you'd barely know he exists every once in a while you almost want to ask for proof of life you remember the uh, the fat potato guy brian stelter during the trump administration he did that where is uh, where's melania what happened to melania like melania had been abducted by aliens or something like they tried to make a big deal melania hasn't been seen in public okay that just means that melania hasn't had her team contact the press and say i'm going to go th- do this or whatever she's just minding her own business first lady used to be free to do that uh, but they made a big stink out of it now the same thing could be said for joe biden it's been something like 70, it's been a long time since he's really sat, since he's done a press conference, since he's done anything where he has to be quick on his feet. Yes, he will sit, he sat down, I guess, with, uh, I think it was Morning Joe, I think it was Joe Scarborough, for something having to do with the, uh, the what do you call it, the Belfast Accord, or the, Good, the Good Friday Accords, the agreement to stop the war in Northern Ireland, a 25-year anniversary. It's kind of funny. I saw the promotion for that thing. Like, it's Joe Scarborough sitting down with Clinton, Blair, Tony Blair, the former uh, thing, Bill Clinton, former president, Biden, and Hillary Clinton. They're like, why the hell are you sitting down with Hillary Clinton? When this, when the Good Friday Accords were agreed upon, she was first lady. She had nothing to, she had a damn thing to do with it. It wasn't until years later that she became Secretary of State. In fact, something like, I don't know, what is that, 10 years later? She became Secretary of State, had literally not a damn thing to do with this. But you know what? They just shoehorn her in there. They'll probably try and rewrite history and go, oh, Hillary, she, she brought it really into the... She closed it down. She set that thing in the, for a land. It was looking pretty iffy there for a while, and then Hillary got involved. No, if Hillary got involved and saved the day, it's because the uh, Clinton administration said, we're going to put Hillary in his room, we're going to lock the doors, and uh, you're not going to get out until you come up with an agreement. You see how it's like living with, with her, okay? And then they all said, all right, we'll stop killing each other. Please, for the love of God, please let us out. I just, I found that interesting, you know, complete waste of time. Why in the hell is she on there? But then, of course, they need to prop her up. What are her accomplishments as, what are her actual accomplishments as Secretary of State? She made Libya a failed state and brought back slavery to uh, Northern Africa. Congratulations, Hillary. Anyway, back to Joe Biden and the proof of life. 
On Meet the Press this weekend, Chuck Todd had on the most appropriately named man in the United States Senate, Dick Durbin. And Dick Durbin was asked whether it's like there's a pretty scathing op ed or editorial in the New York Times about how Joe Biden just isn't around. Actually, it's been in quite a few papers, similar sentiment, op-eds and what have you, about how Joe Biden is not around. He is, people are believing or recognizing that he is not up to the job of President of the United States because he's not doing it. They don't see him doing the job. Well, he's here. Oh, you know, he's, He's on top. The president is on top of it. Well, why don't we get a pic? Why don't we get a, a video of the president? Being, no, no, not like that. No, no. We don't ever get to see the president doing anything. He'll come out, he'll read a teleprompter thing, and then the press is thrown out of the room. He'll come out, he'll read an opening statement, and then the press is thrown out of the room while they're shouting questions at him. And the press, stay at, uh, the White House press aides come in and throw the journalists out. And that's it. And these are the friendliest people in the world, but they're scared to death about what this guy will say as he slips further down the road of dementia. So they aren't allowing unscripted moments. And they are terrified of interviews, even friendly interviews. But Dick Durbin has an answer to Chuck Todd. Well, the American people haven't seen him doing the job. They're wondering if he's up to the job. Dick Durbin says, no, no, he's, he's up to the He's totally up to the job, yo. I've seen him in meetings. You mean you've seen him behind closed doors? Well, forgive me if I don't trust you, Dick Durbin. If he is so whip smart and on the ball, why are they hiding him? And again, who the hell would trust Dick Durbin? Listen to this clip. They believe he hasn't done enough to reassure Americans that he's up to the job. Uh, they note this. His standard line is, the only thing I can say is watch me about the ability to be president and serve a second term in his 80s. But Mr. Biden, the, the Times writes, has given voters very few chances to do just that, to, quote, watch him. And his refusal to engage with the public regularly raises questions about his age and health. Again, this comes from the New York Times, not some right-wing blog about this. Should President Biden be doing more to show Americans that he's up to the job? I think his schedule reflects an active person mentally and physically who is engaging with the American people on a regular basis. I don't know what more they're asking for, but I've been in meetings with him time after time. His performance tells me he's up to the job and does it well. His performance, trust me, I'm a politician. I have seen him do stuff in private. He's alive, says the kidnapper. He's totally alive. Now just transfer the money. <laughs> I, just, I can't believe these people. Now, Dick Durbin has to. He's a team player. He's the ultimate team player. He's one of the... I just... Something creepy about Dick Durbin to me. It just is. But Dick Durbin and Democrats be worried. Because what does their party have if Joe Biden falls apart? It is a sad commentary on the state of the Democratic Party, honestly, at the weakness of their bench. Now, they had a weak bench for... Years and I, you know, I thought their bench was incredibly weak in 2000. They ended up belching up Joe Biden and winning. So, I mean, save me your emails about oh, it was robbed. It doesn't matter at this point. It, I think there was a lot of people who voted who because it was so easy, and that's why I don't think it should be that easy. And Democrats clearly cheated or twisted arms or whatever as well. But if you can't prove it, it doesn't matter. And there is a huge swath of the American public that I think has never really been accurately captured that are just sick of, of Donald Trump. Just sick of him. Doesn't I know I know there are people out there who love Donald Trump. So how dare you say that? And that's not true. Nobody I it doesn't matter. Nobody you know feels that way or whatever. There are lots of how many people in Manhattan do you know? How many people in California do you know? How many people in major cities do you know? In Detroit, you can win pretty much everywhere except really lose in Detroit and Wayne County, which is not only Detroit, but the cities around it or the tri-county area, Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb, and you still lose and you won everywhere else and it doesn't matter. So, yeah, there are the people out there. You could have, could be true. Whatever the case, I do know that there are just a lot of people who are sick of him. So you got to account for that. But anyway... Democrats, 
I thought in, well, in the Obama administration, there really was no bench. It was Hillary Clinton. It was everybody had plowed the road for Hillary Clinton. Bernie came in like and tried to spoil it, but they closed ranks. They screwed him over and he took it. It's really weird that the guy took it. So, You're right to be angry about capitalism. It's his new book. It should be your right to be angry about Democrats screwing Democrats over in the primary system because Bernie Sanders is where the heart of the Democratic Party is. But they screwed her. So uh, 2020 rolls around. And who, look at, remember their field, Marianne Williamson, Kamala Harris. Uh, you, you name the boring, worthless, de- Mayor Pete, for God's sakes, was a viable, Amy Klobuchar, Amy Klobuchar, come on, was a, a potted plant unavailable? But they they won. But their bench isn't very deep. They went with the eighty year old guy, and so you look around. And I'm just I'm trying to set this up to show you because normally, traditionally, the vice presidency is where you look for the next president if you're of that party. George Bush, George W. Bush, pioneered this with Dick Cheney by picking somebody who had no interest in the job. Everybody thought, oh, this will be neat. It'll be interesting. It'll be good because then uh, the vice president won't be fighting everybody for the the nomination in 2008 because he doesn't want it. The problem is all all the experience that it has accrued and any goodwill it has accrued during that administration is in, embodied in that one person. So they are prepared for that job. They have studied eight years for the next, for the promotion. If they don't want it, why in the hell would they take the job? And also, nobody else had really studied. Nobody else, it, look, if you got all the hatred of the uh, Bush administration personified in Dick Cheney, he runs and he gets rejected. Whoever wins the nomination against them gets to say, no, that was them. And we, we said no. Instead, it's just passed on since Cheney didn't run is passed on to McCain. Not that McCain was anything to write home about, but I'm just saying, just saying. So I want to show you where the Democrats are. I want to play this clip from Kamala Harris, mostly because it just cracks me up. She is really just a god-awful politician. There's no retail politician. There is like a politician. You normally look at them and you go, okay, the retail, the one-on-one or interaction with voters. Boy, how does she really nails it? There's the Bill Clinton story. Bill Clinton was the complete package. Barack Obama was not the complete package. Barack Obama was a teleprompter. Off teleprompter, he was awful. But on teleprompter, he could deliver a speech like he was a, a, a method actor. That said... Bill Clinton could do it all. Bill Clinton was probably the greatest natural politician in the last 50 years, if not longer. And they'd say, you're in a room with Bill Clinton. People hated him. People didn't like him. And they'd come away and they're like, you know what? I don't like I don't agree with the guy on anything, but he's the damn nicest guy. He would talk to everybody in that room. He would seek out the people who hate him to spend the most time with him. He'd grab their hand and then grab their elbow and shake their hand or put their hand on their, put his other hand on their shoulder or whatever. He would just lure them in. It is great at retail politics. Joe Biden sucks at it. Joe Biden absolutely sucks at it. He kind of all shucks his way through most of his Senate and vice presidency, but now he's too senile to pull that. It's gone from all shucks to who am I? Why am I here? Kamala Harris never had that ability. My God, she is terrible. She is terrible. She doesn't have the retail politics. She doesn't have the ability to read a teleprompter. She doesn't have the ability to seem like anybody you would want to ride an elevator with, let alone possibly be stuck in one with. She tosses word salads nonstop. Seemingly like like those people who use big words regularly, who will take... See, when I first started writing, I took a class with a guy called Mark Tapscott, who uh, I don't know what he became, but he went to the Washington Examiner and, and started that place. And he, the writing course was at Heritage. It was called nine seven five, and the theory was that anything you can write in nine words, you can say in seven words. And anything you can say in seven words, you can say in five words. And that is, you know, brevity is the soul of wit. Now sometimes you need to use bigger words, more 
exposition or whatever. And sometimes, frankly, you're just trying to pad the word count a little bit because you're, you're 10 words short. And you're like, oh, come on. But people who are not particularly bright or knowledgeable, not necessarily stupid, but knowledgeable, I guess would be the way to talk about it, and can't relate to other human beings, they will use, they will pad. They will throw in other words to make it seem as though they are smart. Everybody knows somebody who unnecessarily uses two and three and four syllable words. Not that they're two syllable, not that any of them are particularly uh, difficult or a sign of intelligence or what have you. But when you're throwing them in unnecessarily, you have to sit there and go, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And the only plausible explanation is this person is having a, a mental breakdown or they are hoping to say enough things to sound smart to cover up for the fact that they are not. That is Kamala Harris in this word salad she tosses on resilience. But it is also what we have to do to build up resilience, both in terms of infrastructure, as you might think of it in terms mm -hmm. of building, but also natural infrastructure. So bringing the natural habitat back and strengthening that, because you know, nature has given us some solutions to these issues. And so when we invest in growing and, and supporting nature and the natural um, elements um, that allow for resilience, we will cover a number of things, Definitely. including the extinction of species, as well as what we need to do to diminish and minimize the harm from extreme weather conditions. Yeah, what, huh? We gotta mitigate the harm from extreme weather. Oh, extreme weather, and now what about your extreme stupidity and incoherence? Can we, can we maybe talk about that? Kamala, please, for the love of God, can we please for a moment talk? No, we can't, no, we can't. It is insane. She is, Joe Biden looked down the bench and he picked her. Now we know why he picked her. But also she may well have been the best choice of the people available. Like, think about that field. Who would have been a better choice? Kirsten Gillibrand? She would have come from an equally large or nearly equally as large state in New York and it was not up for grabs. Why or how or what, what, where would you have gone? Mayor Pete? My God, he can't. What you, the first three months of his vice presidency, he would have been on paternity leave and nobody would have noticed? No, they needed somebody to come in and be able to do a lot of the public actions of the administration. That's really what they needed in a vice president. When you got Joe Biden as a presidential, as the president who can't function, he can't be seen in public, he's got good days, he's got bad days, and it's a crapshoot. You need somebody, you need somebody to plug in there. You need a good, uh, I don't know, utility infielder or something who can bat. 270, 280, something like that. Not going to be a 300, not going to get you 30 homers, but maybe get you 21 on a good year that you can plug in there. And Kamala Harris was the best they had. The best they had sucked. She's like below the Mendoza line. She's hitting 142. She's got no home runs, and she does make nothing but errors in the field. That's part of why people are going, where the hell is the president? We need to see the president because there isn't a, the closest thing we have to a face for this administration is Joe's fake teeth. God, those are the fakest teeth ever. And Karine Jean-Pierre, the very historic Karine Jean-Pierre. Yet every time she opens her mouth, she you, you just have to sit there. You almost feel bad for the Democrats. She opens her mouth, she talks, and you just go, oh my God, oh, this is a disaster. You don't feel bad for the administration, but you feel bad for the country because on the international stage, this is the mouthpiece for the United States of America. And you can sit there and say, well, most people don't, and it doesn't matter. In the world, they're not, on the world stage, they're not interested in the polling data. They're not paying attention. They're not nuanced. It's those two. She is the face and mouth of the White House because the president himself cannot do the job. He's not up to the task. The vice president, they can't send out there because you get this stuff. 
She's not senile. You kind of wish she would be, though. You kind of wish, like, maybe get her stoned. Remember when she used to, when she was on the Breakfast Club running for president? She was talking about, joking about, oh, yeah, no, she loved getting high in college and listening to Snoop Dogg records, even though Snoop didn't come out with his first album until well after she was out of college and out of law school. I think she was in her 30s or something like that. And like, um, yeah, that was a, a load of BS. That's who she is. That's what she is. That's, it's so sad and so pathetic that you end up with the intellectual... Without, I mean, who is the intellectual leader? Who is the intellectual face of the Democratic Party? In many ways, you still have to say that it's the Obamas, even though Michelle has never been elected or even run for anything. It is the Obamas. That's why the, uh, whatever school it was, LSU, did they, whoever won the, the Women's National Championship in basketball, and they're like, yeah, we're not going to the White House, screw that, because they want to bring the other, the losing team in too. Uh, we'll just go to the Obama's house. It's why anybody has that thought. Nobody ever said we're going to go visit the, the Bushes. Nothing against George and Laura, but let's be honest. When's the last time you seriously thought about them or what have you or as in terms of the Republican Party? And it's not just because Trump came in and upended everything. It's because you move on. You need to move on. But the Democrats moved on to somebody who can't do the job, who surrounded himself with other people who can't help the job get done. And PR is a big part of the job. So where does the intellectual heart, because I hesitate to call it a brain, where does the intellectual heart of the Democratic Party lie? What lies with one? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And you have to say it like you're saying Juan Valdez and he's standing there with his donkey. You have to say it like that or it's a hate crime. She is the intellectual leader of the Democratic Party. She comes in, she's a freshman, she's done nothing, but she's got a large social media footprint. And this is what's really funny, because there are a lot of people, I can tell you, I just went through this, and uh, um, going up against somebody with a large social media or being replaced by somebody with a large social media footprint, and people are dumb enough to think that translates into something. They truly, really, genuinely are. They believe that that translates into something, and if you're popular in one forum, you will be popular in every forum. For some people, that can be true, but for most, it is not. Do you remember the actor Fred Thompson, really nice guy. Fred Thompson was well-known. He was a star. He was a Hollywood actor. He was a United States senator from Tennessee. He was known. And boy, howdy, when he talked, you believed him. Whether you agreed with him or not, you believed him. His line delivery was perfect. Well, he was a known commodity. He was, I believe, at the time, a Fox News contributor. And some company, I forget what it was, said, we're going to create the Fred Thompson show. We're going to create the Fred Thompson radio show. People know Fred Thompson. They love Fred Thompson. Who couldn't listen to Fred Thompson read the telephone book? We're going to create the Fred Thompson. And, you know, I would probably listen to Fred. He since passed, but I would have probably listened to Fred Thompson read the telephone book because that would be interesting. His radio show was not. He was wildly popular. It was sort of not before social media, but certainly wasn't as as prevalent as it is now. But he was known, and uh, what are you going to do? It didn't work. Nobody listened. Nobody liked it because he wasn't good at radio. He was wildly famous. No, there, there have been a lot of people who have been wildly famous that they kind of threw out there and said, good, this person is popular. Let's give them a television show. Let's give them a radio show. And it fell apart. Now, in social media, it's even worse. That's how Dylan Mulvaney gets $100,000 from Budweiser. I mean, well, he's got 10 million followers. What could go wrong? It'll be great for the brand. And it all fell apart. Now, the two executives involved in the decision-making are on leave, administrative leave at some point. It's just been a complete and total disaster for Budweiser. PR disaster. It hasn't really necessarily landed with, uh, what do you call it, market cap. The market cap has kind of rebounded, but in general, it just, it wasn't good. And people are still not buying Budweiser products. It eventually will trickle down. There will be an impact. 
So you look around at these people and you have to wonder what the hell is going on with them. Where does it, the heart, and it's with AOC. With AOC. As terrifying as that is. Now she was on with Ginger Goebbels. It's really kind of funny. They interviewed offsite probably in New York um, for this, but Ginger Goebbels' show on Sunday also had on John Kerry. I saw the clips for it. I almost got the audio of it. There are clips of John Kerry walking around talking about all the doom and gloom and everything from climate change. And they're sitting outside the Lincoln Memorial, filming on the mall there. It's a beautiful, gorgeous spring day, people walking around. And there is former senator and former secretary of state, now climate czar, John Kerry, sitting there talking to former White House press secretary, Ginger Goebbels, Jen Psaki. There doesn't appear to be barricades or crowd. There's certainly no crowd whatsoever. Nobody gave a damn. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen is they're just wandering around and they don't care that this is going on over there. Now, if it were Fox News, and again, this doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but to make fun of MSNBC, it's worthy of pointing out. If it were Fox News, the stage would need to be elevated. There would have to be an evacuation route that is fenced off. There would be crowd control and there would be a crowd to control. But because it's MSNBC, Nobody gave a damn. They're like, oh, there's the uh, the redheaded BSer, and there's the guy whose horse looks like or face looks like Mr. Ed. Let's just move on. They couldn't care less. It was very telling. Anyway, back to AOC. I want you to listen to what she says. This is AOC, essentially the reincarnation in drag, trans Hitler. And you know what? I just made that up. I like that. Trans Hitler and Ginger Goebbels sitting around talking about how she wants to ban Fox. She wants the government to come in, regulate, ban, punish, go after, destroy, whatever it is, Fox News, because they insult violence, or they insinuate violence, or they, in, good Lord, let me try it the third time, they inspire violence. Federal regulation in terms of what's allowed on air and what isn't. And when you look at what Tucker Carlson and some of these other folks on Fox do, it is very, very clearly incitement of violence, very clearly incitement of violence. And that is the line that I think we have to uh, be willing to contend with. It is very, very incitement of violence. Very Now, note, she doesn't mention any of the violence incited. She doesn't. She can't. A, she's not that bright, and B, there really isn't any. Where is the incitement to violence? They thought that uh, the one guy who turned out to uh, be non-binary and used they-them pronouns, they thought he was a Fox News viewer who shot up the gay club in Colorado, but it turns out, no, he was a member of the Alphabet Mafia. Now, as she's saying this, she's wildly stupid. You would think to be a member of Congress, granted it doesn't take a genius to get elected, but once elected... You would think that at some point she would come across information. I don't know. She's got staff. She's got a probably a five hundred thousand or a million dollar budget for her staff alone. Somebody on there would inform her how things work. Either that, or she doesn't care. Because I highly doubt there's no way that she doesn't know that government regulations have absolutely nothing to do with what is on cable television. Cable news, the First Amendment protects cable news. But even if it's not news, as I, I think most of this stuff on cable so-called news is not news, it is still afforded the First Amendment protections because the First Amendment applies to freedom of speech. But there's also, they talk about the FCC. They, don't, they know they wouldn't get anything passed. Again, the Democrats have a majority in the FCC right now because that's how the appointment process works with the party in power. And... The FCC, they always say, why don't they just regulate? Why don't we punish? Why don't we take them off? The F- Aside from the fascistic nature of that instinct, which is terrifying, the FCC deals with broadcasts, broadcasts over the public airwaves. Cable is not broadcast at all. It is uh, delivered to the ho- house through, as you might imagine by the name, cable, right? It's a cable so it runs, it is not, the FCC has no role in regulating the content of shows on cable. That's why every once in a while when uh, 
Donald Trump said, asshole countries. Remember that? And then what did CNN and MSNBC do? Especially CNN. They went crazy with asshole countries. Asshole. They were just saying it nonstop because they were excited. Now, if they were on ABC, CBS, NBC, or Fox, or your local whatevers, and they had sworn that much, or all the stuff that they uh, they say now on cable news or South Park, whatever, they would have been fined for it because it would be in the government's domain and violate the decency rules. There is nothing on cable news that the FCC can do. So aside from the genuine stupidity of AOC to either not know that or just hope that the audience doesn't know that and maybe raise some money from idiots, it really shows her inner fascist there. And that's why I like trans Hitler as a nickname. Now that I think about it, that's a pretty damn good one. That is who is the intellectual heart and soul of the Democrat Party right now. Let's shut down. We need to use the power of government to silence our opponents. It's the essence of fascism. But she is doing it as an anti-fascist. And nobody would point it out. Nobody on the left would ever make the connection. They all live in fear of this idiot. I would posit that maybe maybe 35%, up to 37% of the Democratic Party elected in Congress actually looks at AOC and agrees with what she says. I think the rest of the people look at what she is, what she represents, and how she comports herself, and they do so with horror in their eyes. My God, this woman is an idiot. She is a danger to the country. She is a fascist. She would literally have her political opponents executed if she thought she could get away with it. But they're terrified to say anything about it. They are intellectual cowards and frauds. They are horrified. They are scared. What if they say something? She will then be critical of them in a tweet, and that will impact their fundraising. That will impact their electoral prospects. She's got 13.4 million Twitter followers and however many other morons who follow her on Instagram. It can't be. We've got to watch out. We don't want to unleash that army of flying monkeys on them. This is my problem in 2020 when I thought Joe Biden was going to stand up and say to the Democrats, look, let's knock this crap off. We don't agree with the Republicans on much or anything, but there's nobody. It's this isn't a wildly racist country, and we can agree and dis, whatever. I thought that he would stand up to the violent mom. The violence going on in the name of so-called justice is unacceptable. He never did. He never did. He, instead, he picked the woman who raised bail money for rioters, for violent mobsters. He picked her to be his running mate. There's no adult left in the Democrat Party with the content in the front of their underpants to stand up and tell these people to shut the hell up, that they do not represent them and that they, in fact, do not represent the United States of America. They have plenty, all the content in the Democratic Party is in the back of the pants as they have it scared out of them. If you catch my drift, I think you do. Anyway, lastly today, I want to play you this thing because it is interesting. Look, in the world of basketball, I am not a basketball fan at all. I am not a basketball fan. But I know who Phil Jackson is. I know the story of the Bulls, and I have watched my share of games back when the Bulls were the Bulls. And Phil Jackson was right there, damn it. And my God, he is probably, him and Pat Riley are the two most famous coaches in the uh, history of the league. I know this Steve Kerr guy is a big lefty or whatever, but who cares? He's not in the league as far as being an intellectual, as being a gentleman, as being a winner like Phil Jackson is. And Phil Jackson sat down with Rick Rubin, the bearded rap producer, like, Rick Rubin's kind of a, like one of the most fast. I'd love to spend some time with Rick Rubin. It'd be really fascinating. And I'd pick the hell out of his brain. But in the course of that, he asked him whether or not he still watches. Rick Rubin asked Phil Jackson, one of the legendary coaches of the NBA, does he still watch basketball? And the answer is no. 
And the answer is no, and he gets around to it. It's a little long clip. It's like two minutes long. The answer is no, and it gets to the point because Phil Jackson is sick of the politics of it. He's sick of having politics shoehorned, rammed into, shoved into every damn thing. And I listen to this and I say, amen, brother. Amen. Now it'll be what I say. It's interesting. Well, I'll tell you what I find most interesting going forward upon hearing this. But listen to it first. Do you do you uh, still watch a lot of basketball or no? I don't. Tell me about that. When and did you stop immediately from the time you stopped coaching? No, I didn't. I watched some of the game evolve and decided. And they went into the lockout year, and they did something that was kind of wanky. They did a bubble down in Orlando, mm-hmm. and all the teams that could qualify mm-hmm. went down there and mm-hmm. stayed down there. Mm-hmm. No audience. And they had things on their back like, you know, Justice. And uh, yeah, I made a little funny thing like, uh, you know, Justice just went to the basket, and uh, equal opportunity just knocked him down. And uh, somebody, I had another name for a guy who has jersey in the back of a jersey, had some other slogan. So my grandkids thought that was pretty funny to to play up those names. So I I couldn't watch that. And then Lakers won, actually. They they won that year. And uh, Do you feel like it just made little of the game, like it made it like a sideshow? What do you think it was that turned you off? Well, it was... was, uh, they even had slogans on the floor, on the baseline. It was catering. It was trying to cater to an audience or trying to bring a certain audience into play. And it, they didn't know it was turning other people off, you know. Mm-hmm. People, people want to see sports as non-political. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had, we've had a lot of different type of uh, players that have gone on to be, like, you know, Bill Bradley was a senator, number of baseball players have been representatives and senators and political, but their politics stay out of the game. Yeah, it's separate. Not, it doesn't it's separate. need to be there. Doesn't need to be there. Amen. Amen, brother. But you know the, what I'm going to say? The, I want to know next where I think this... I want to know what the reaction is going to be. The modern player, I don't think will... and the, Well, the activist class certainly won't have the respect for Phil Jackson that Phil Jackson deserves. And when he's attacked, and he will be attacked by the modern left, maybe even Steve Kerr, maybe by some current players. Oh, this old man, blah, 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 blah. I wonder if Michael Jordan will come in. I wonder if Mike Michael Jordan, who keeps out of politics, who minds his own business, who sort of, you know, aside from the last dance, he's just not out in the public eye anymore uh, not that he ever really was but you know, he's not out in the public eye on the golf course or at the casino playing cards or whatever i wonder if he'll come out and defend his old coach that'll be interesting to see because he famously said you know republicans buy buy nikes buy sneakers too they do and he still makes a ton of money off of that stuff he didn't become a billionaire because of his line of hair products michael jordan so it'll be interesting to see if when the attacks come and I predict the attacks will come pretty uh, pretty fast and furiously, I'd imagine. Will Michael Jordan step up and defend his old coach? Time will tell. All right, lastly, I just want to play you this clip because I went to the uh, girls' softball game on Saturday. Softball games. It's the first time they've been able to play because it's been raining every Saturday. Last Saturday, they might have been able to play, but uh, most people didn't. There weren't enough people. And it would have been in between raindrops, and it probably was best that it didn't happen. This week, they did. There was uh, only a little bit of crying on both of their parts. Uh, it wasn't... There's one dude who's on Bailey's team, one kid who's like four years old, who's good at soccer. He scored like three or four goals. It's, he had to be flying high. I don't think anybody else scored a goal on his team, on Bailey's team. Somebody on the other team scored one goal. But it was like four to one. And it's just a mishmash. I mean, one kid just couldn't, she couldn't stop grabbing the ball with her hands. And the coach kept saying, hey, don't use your hands. Then finally she got kicked in the hand. Like That's why you don't use your hands. And she still just didn't get it. I, uh, 
I would not have been particularly patient with that child. But while we watched Bailey, Quinn and I sort of kicked the ball around, and Quinn was, I guess she was playing on my phone too. And then it was Bailey, Quinn's turn to play. All she really wanted to do, she chased, she's so She's a very slow runner. Sweetest kid in the world. Cursed with the hunter speed. Just not, not fast at all. So she's running around, and then when the ball was near her, she kind of occasionally kicked it. So she got into the action. She was near the action. She was wanting to be in the action, but she was never quite quick enough to, like, break away with the ball at all. But she did kick it, and she kicked it in the right direction whenever she kicked it, but she really wanted to throw the ball in when it went out of bounds once. And she was crying that she wasn't able to do that, and I said, talk to the coach and tell him, and she did, and then she got to throw it in, and she threw it right to the, the one girl that she talks to all the time who didn't know what to do with it either, but she at least threw it to where she wanted it to go. She shouldn't have wanted it to go there, but she did it. But while Quinn was playing, Bailey's sitting on my lap, and uh, there's this thing I do with Bailey. She has some of the best reaction faces and lines ever, but her face, facial reaction is brilliant. And so I posted it up at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast because I can post videos there. And it's open to the public. It's not just for subscribers, although you, you would please subscribe. I'd be much appreciated, especially now. But uh, I posted the video up there, but I've ripped the audio of it because I, what I do is I just create absurd scenarios where it's something she loves. You want to do this with it? Yeah, I want to do this. You want to do this? Yeah, yeah. And then something wildly absurd. And I just, this cracked me up and I filmed it. And then I showed it to the wife when we got home because uh, she wasn't able to go to the games. And um, she laughed hysterically and said, you got to include that in the podcast. So since she is... Uh, a broadcast professional and has worked in radio for ever since she's 15 years old. And I'm just some schlub who's twice been fired for stupid reasons uh, without actually being at fault. Um, I took her advice and I put it in there. You can see the video of this and I trust me, go watch the I posted it at midnight. Uh, watch it just to watch Bailey's reaction to it. But here is the audio of it. All right, Bailey. So you love dandelions, right? Yeah. You want to go hug them? Yeah. You want to take them to a uh, a club and dance with them all night? Yeah. You want to punch them and push them down a flight of stairs? No. You want to take a nice vacation to Disneyland with them and enjoy all the rides and do things that friends do? Yeah. And then force them to do a bunch of drugs and overdose and leave them dead in a seedy motel for the police to find framed for a murder and a series of bank robberies that they didn't commit but that you did as you run away with all the money? No. You don't want to do that to a dandelion? No. A dandelion would do that to you. Dandelions are bad. Why? Because they would frame you for murder and... Leave you for they're horrible, horrible people. They're not horrible, horrible people. Only because they're not people. But daddy, do you want to kill a dog or force a cat uh, to flush a dog in the toilet? <laughs> I kind of do. I kind of want just to see it. Didn't, would you want? Would you want to punch a dandelion in the face? No. Would you want a dandelion punch you in the face? Would you high-five a dandelion if it did something good? Yeah. Would you high-five a dandelion if it had just robbed a bank and set a strip mall on fire? Um, no. You wouldn't high-five over that? Yeah. Probably smart. All right. That's all. <laughs> now I find that maybe, maybe that makes me a horrible father, a horrible parent, whatever. But stuff like that. I love having these sort of weird, absurdist conversations with the girls and making them not necessarily think on their feet, because I guess there is an element of thinking and improv in this, but it's also just their reactions are gold and crack me up. And that is the joy, one of the joys of fatherhood. All right. That is it for today. Check out patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. If you've already entered the contest for the signed book, I'll let you enter again. Put your name in there twice. Go ahead. 
And uh, if you haven't signed up and you want a chance to win Mark Levin autographed book or Sandra Day O'Connor autographed book, uh, sign up. Minimum five bucks a month. That's it. Maximum. There is no maximum. So it's all much appreciated. And if you don't like either of those websites or what have you, you can uh, PayPal me at DerekAllenHunter at gmail.com. D-E-R-E-K-A-L-L-A-N-H-U-N-T-E-R. And I will email you every Friday. You get it actually a little bit earlier. Although I could, if it's a bunch of people, I could start scheduling it. But you'll get the, uh, the thing sent right to your email, the Week in F and Review. I can't help you with the other stuff. I'm going to post some pictures of the kittens soon. I haven't taken very many yet because I'm too busy just making sure they don't. They just had surgery today, and they're running around like spazzes. And the the nurse I picked them up from is like, hey, make sure they don't do this, that, or the other thing. They'll rip it open. I'm like, ugh. I know it's highly unlikely, or at least I hope it's highly unlikely, but whenever I hear, like, if you don't do this, don't take care, it's going to rip open. I uh, I take that seriously as somebody who's had two hernias. So check it out. I appreciate the use of your ears. We'll be back to do it all again tomorrow. Thanks for listening.